But if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We've been struggling through verses 32 through 56, and I'm going to read the entire passage again this morning. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This is Jesus and his disciples. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, a desert place in the Greek, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they, th they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. What I want to deal with first is what Mark believes is at stake in this story. And for me, that's of critical importance. What does Mark believe happened that day? And what does it mean? That's where we'll start. And then we'll go from there to our own personal experience of the story. So we're going to kind of take a, a journey from Mark to you and me. Now, what's at stake in the story is maybe a little obscured in English, so I'm going to have to do a little Greek to get us there. Uh, New Testament was written originally in Greek, and the Greek is fascinating here. First, if you look at the story, just the basic details, Jesus sends his disciples out ahead of him. Well, he goes up to a mountain to pray. He dismisses the crowd that's gathered, and then he goes to pray. And they work their way across the Sea of Galilee, going to the other side. This happened before. And once again, they face a storm, which they happened before, when Jesus calmed the sea earlier in the gospel, as you remember. And so Jesus, who's on land by himself, sees them out there struggling, and he decides to walk out to them. And so he walks out on the water. Now, a couple of things are important about the disciples. First of all, these, many of them were fishermen. Familiar with this lake, they made their living on it. So we're not talking about people who are panicky because they've never been on the water before. These are seasoned sailors in many ways. 
and they see Jesus coming out to them, and they're terrified. And what do they think they see? They don't think it's Jesus initially. They don't think it's human at all because they're not crazy. People don't walk on water. So they don't jump to the conclusion that somebody is walking on water. They don't. Something's out there, an apparition. And Jesus responds to that fear. And the scriptures tell us two things. First, he had intended to pass by them. Uh, Maybe Jesus intended to walk all the way on the water, all the way across to the other side, but he only stopped because of their fear. Maybe. But what's interesting is the Greek word here is actually the word for Passover. The word used for Passover. And we're told at the Passover that God passed over. Same word as this one. Passed by the houses of those who had put the blood on their door frames when he was going out to slaughter the firstborn sons of Egypt. So it's used there. It's also used when Moses asked God to see his glory. After the failure of the Israelites, when they worshipped the golden calf and God almost destroyed them. And God agrees to show him his glory. And so God, this is in Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 and following. God puts Moses in the cleft of a rock and he covers him over with his hand and he passes by Moses. It's the same verb as here. He passes over Moses and then removes his hand and lets Moses see his back. And Moses sees the glory of God. That same word is here. There's a sense here that what Mark wants us to read is not that Jesus was going to pass by the disciples by the boat, go all the way to the land. He was intending to go out on that water to show them his glory. He was going to pass over them. He was going to reveal himself to them. But they don't understand what they see. Jesus, to calm their fears, says, take courage. It is I. It is I. Fear not. That's a legitimate translation of the Greek. It is I. But for those of you, anybody know one of the romantic languages, Spanish, Italian, French, anybody familiar with any of those? Greek is a language like that, where if you have a verb, the person is implied in the verb. It doesn't work for us. If I use the verb rest, We have to specify. You rest, I rest, he rests, she rests, right? Tom rests. We have to tell you who. Rest doesn't tell us anything about the person. But in Greek, just like in Spanish, just like in French, just like in Italian, the verb itself tells you if it's I, you, he, she, or whatever. The verb has a specific form. That's the case here in Greek. Amy just means I am. It is I. That would be the most natural way to say it. But Jesus makes it emphatic. He actually says the I. Ego me. And it's an interesting phrase because it's not one you find that much. Now, it's possible that he said it emphatically like that. I am. Because they were so afraid. And he wanted to calm them down. Don't worry, it's just me. But we have to remember where Jesus is when he says the word ego me. He is walking on water. And that is significant. Because there's another time that we find that phrase in the First Testament. And it's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 and following. We find these words. Moses is here again. Moses said to God, 
Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And in the Greek translation of the First Testament that the New Testament writers use almost all the time, that phrase is ego eimi. What is God's name? Ego eimi. So Jesus here, walking on water, approaching the boat, intending to show them his glory, says, Ego eimi. Job chapter 9 verse 8 says, He, God, alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. No prophet in the history of Israel had ever walked on water. Not once. Moses divided the waters by God's command with a wind that blew all night and the people walked through on dry ground. That certainly happened. There's an interesting story in the life of the prophet Elisha where an axe head was lost in a river and through Elisha's prayers, it floated to the surface. You can find that story in 2 Kings. It's an interesting story. But nowhere had anybody ever walked on water. In fact, it's the testimony of the First Testament prophets that no one can walk on water except God. No one. Psalm 77, verses 11 to 20 says this, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Jesus walks on water and reveals to his disciples who he is. For Mark, What's at stake is that Jesus is not a prophet. He's not some descendant or child of God. Remember, Mark's been calling him the son of God, which could lead us to think that he's some sort of uh, uh, heir of God or progeny of God. David was called the son of God because he was the king. So is Jesus a king? Is he a prophet? Is he a human who has just so perfectly embodied the ethics of God Almighty that we might as well call him God in the flesh? Is that what's at stake for Mark? But when he strolls out onto the waters as only God can, when his people are desperately afraid and he says, Ego eimi, the same name God gave himself in Exodus when Moses asked, Who should I tell them is sending me? He says to us, I am God. What Jesus is claiming in that moment from Mark is that the God who spoke the world into being, the God who formed male and female from the dust of the earth, the God who brought the flood on the people of the ancient world, and brought judgment on them. The God who called to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. The God who delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. The God who called the kings, David and his progeny, to be kings over Israel. The God who spoke through the prophets. That God was standing on the water in front of them in human flesh. Ego eimi. He is God. There is no other option. The text says that they missed it because they had not understood 
about the loaves. And so their hearts were hardened. They missed what God had done before. And so they could not see God in the flesh now. What did they miss about those loaves? What they missed was that Moses, when the people were fed by the manna in the wilderness, Moses didn't actually do that. He was there. He was leading them. But the manna just appeared every day. Jesus actually caused the bread to multiply. He was the source of it. Who was the source of the manna? God was. It was clear who he was. And if they had understood what was happening in the feeding of the 5,000, they would have recognized him on the water. But they didn't. It's not until he rises from the dead that they understand what he was trying to show them on that water. And here's the insight I want you to just grab a hold of. The glory of God was passing by those 12 disciples and they saw nothing but a ghost. Could God's glory be passing by you and you see nothing at all? Each of us, and I think this is part of what Mark tells us, God is working in your life and in mine. Has been for years. You don't not know him. You just don't recognize him. He has been at work. And the moment that he calls to us, one of the things that can keep us from responding to him is when we miss his activity in our lives already. My challenge to you, and I think the challenge Mark gives us, is to recognize that the disciples, because they were blind to the bread, were blind to his revelation of himself to them. Maybe the first prayer we need to pray when we find ourselves doubting that God has worked in human history, when we find ourselves doubting that there's a God in heaven, when we find ourselves doubting that these stories are true, maybe the first prayer we need to pray is the prayer that says, God, open my eyes to what's behind me. Help me to see your hand in the steps I've already taken. There's none of us, none of us born who breathe any air in this world that God has not been at work in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we've had good lives, and some of us wish that God's involvement was of a different sort than it has been. But he's been there as he fed them with the loaves. He's fed you too. Here's the challenge for you today. The disciples at first could not see because they were so wrapped up in their concerns that they were blinded. All they could see with the loaves is, phew, we don't have to feed those guys. Can you believe he asked us to feed them? We didn't know how it was going to happen. Oh, that's done. And they missed the miracle. And then Jesus, God in the flesh, walks on water, declares himself to be the God of all creation right in front of them. And they look at him and go, that was weird. <laughs> Terrifying. Do you expect to see God? Do you expect to see him at work? Do you expect to see him in your pain, in your past? in your trials, in your tribulations, in your joys, in your triumphs? Do you expect to see him? 
so much of what is true in us, we have to anticipate before we can see it. The world is not absent of God. The world is blind to Him. And you and I too. And when He reveals Himself, He doesn't only reveal Himself at that moment, but He reveals everything that's come before it. Are you ready to follow? Are you ready at least to ask Him to open your eyes? If He could open your eyes, you would see He's been with you for longer than you ever knew who He was. And He calls to you today. And He says, follow me.